offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai. And as always, I have this pleasure of joining you all from our studios at Prashantinilyam. I hope all of you are keeping safe and all of you are doing well by Swami's grace. This is an opportunity I get every week to join all of you in this pilgrimage of going through one of the most profound gifts that Sanatan Dharma has given to the world, the Bhagavad Gita. We are in the sixth chapter of this book and we go through the chapters verse by verse with as much detail as we can and because of that sometimes we don't go or do more than one or even two shlokas per week. Last week was one such week, we covered only two shlokas. Hopefully today we'll be able to do more. But we'll begin with a short summary of what we covered last time. And that will give us a sense of where we are right now. As I said, we did two shlokas last time. Shloka number 22 and 23. The most important theme that we discussed in both these shlokas is Dukkha or sorrow and what role sorrow plays in the life of a sadhaka or what role sorrow must not play in the life of a sadhaka. That would be more appropriate, I guess. But before coming to the 22nd itself, in the 21st shloka, while describing the yogi who has reached the pinnacle of this practice of dhyana or meditation that we are talking about, Krishna described the person to have reached a state of sukhamatyantikam, happiness of the highest order. We will be coming back to this even in today's episode, but that was one of the descriptions of the highest state that Krishna had given, sukham atyantikam. So in the 22nd verse that we covered last week, Krishna explains how this state is reached. He says that having attained the highest state, the sadhaka feels that there is nothing more to be attained. And the sadhaka's restlessness go away, as we've seen. Always it is about wanting more or one has to give up what one has already attained and is restless to achieve more. So the sense of what is attained is the highest. There is nothing more to attain is what makes the sadhaka calm down and that is how the highest happiness is reached. This piece, Krishna says, even the greatest of sorrows cannot shake. Yasmin stito na dukhena gurunapi vichalyate. This state cannot be shaken by the most severe of sorrows. Dukhena gurunapi. From a small desire that makes one feel restless to a great sorrow that can unsettle one and make one feel incomplete. Nothing can shake this state of steadiness or happiness that has been found. In the 23rd verse, Krishna gives a very beautiful definition for yoga which he has not given so far. And this definition is in reference to sorrow. He says, Dukkha Samyoga Vyogam Yoga The severance of association with sorrow is yoga. Dukkha Samyoga The association with Dukkha Vyoga The dissociation from that is yoga. Dukkha Samyoga Vyogam Yoga 
So the state of progress can be defined based on how immune one is to sorrow or how distant one is from sorrow. Further Krishna adds that this must be practiced. This is not only something that is reached, this will eventually be attained as one reaches the highest state, that's what Krishna says, but this also can be practiced, how one can raise the mind above sorrow and he says this has to be practiced with determination, nischayena and a cheerful disposition of the mind. Anirvinna chetasa Just as we saw that for practicing yoga one needs a certain purity, even though purity is the goal of yoga itself. Similarly, you need a certain amount of self-control and discipline. Even though the complete self-control is the goal of yoga, similarly, though absolute happiness, sukham atyantikam, as Krishna said, is the goal of yoga, a certain amount of happiness or cheerfulness is required even to embark on this journey of meditation or any form of sadhana. So that is what Krishna says here, that one needs to have a mind that is not downcast, that is not depressed. Anirvinna chetasa. So those are the important points that Krishna made in those uh, couple of verses that we went through last week. The next two shlokas are actually one full sentence broken up into two shlokas, that is shloka number 24 and 25. Very interesting points are going to be made here. One difference is that these are again going to be helpful for those who are wanting to practice meditation. We will listen to these two shlokas together. Then I'll give you the meaning of those two shlokas and then we will discuss in detail about what Krishna says there. Sankalpaprabhavan kaman Tyaktvasarvanaseshataha Manasaivendriyagramam Viniyamya samantataha Shanai shanai ruparamed Buddhya dhriti grihitaya Atma sanstham mana kritva Nakinchida pichintayet By totally eschewing all desires which arise from thoughts and restraining with the mind itself all the organs from every side, one should gradually withdraw with the intellect endowed with steadiness, making the mind fixed in the self, one should not think of anything whatsoever. So those are verses 24 and 25 of the 6th chapter. As we've been seeing, the past few shlokas, Krishna went back to the description of Anyani, pretty similar to how he did when he was talking about Karma Yogi, when he was talking about Astita Pragna. In the context of Dhyana Yoga, also now Krishna speaks about somebody who has reached that culmination of this yoga. But in these two shlokas and uh, the following few, that is not going to be the case. These shlokas can be grouped with the meditation technique, as I was just saying, that Krishna was talking about a few shlokas back, where he was saying how you have to sit, how you have to prepare your place. 
The only difference maybe is that these are with reference to what happens within the mind or within the sadhaka himself or herself. So what must be going on in the mind when one is trying to practice meditation? So there are some very important points that are made here which will be very useful for any of us who are trying to practice meditation. We'll go through them one by one. The first point that Krishna makes is with regard to desires and thoughts. Here there is also an explanation of how desires arise and what role does meditation play in how we deal with them. Because this is a very general explanation, I think the shloka can also be spoken of without referring to dhyana as such. But uh, since it is placed in this part of the Bhagavad Gita, I think it, it also stands for what how meditation can help with this particular aspect of controlling one's desires. So Krishna says, Sankalpa Prabhavan Kaman Sankalpa Prabhavan Kaman Desires or Kamas that are born of Sankalpas or thoughts. Sarvan Asheshataha All of them. Asheshataha means without any exception. So Sarvan Asheshataha All these desires that are born out of Sankalpas or thoughts. Tyaktva Having abandoned. So as you can see, this is only one part of the statement, but there are a few things that we'll discuss here. Even though it's midway, we'll do that and then we will go to the rest of the statement. If we were to ignore the influence of the subconscious mind on how that leads to desires coming up, I think we've spoken about that earlier also, we will speak about that in future chapters also, how there are some vasanas from within and those lead to desires propping up. Krishna also spoke of that. There is a prakriti within us and that prakriti makes its presence felt in the form of likes and dislikes, which is nothing but desires. But if we were to ignore the role of subconscious mind in desires, though it's very important, just for the understanding of how do you control desires that are born out of our day-to-day living, right? How do desires arise in the mind? There is an input through the senses. Maybe we see something or we read something, or we hear something from others, and then it becomes a thought. Say, you see some latest gadget in the market, or you see a brand new car that is driving past you. A thought occurs in the mind based on this input that the senses has given. You say that, hey, that looks nice, or hey, isn't that so cool? Then what happens is invariably that thought actually goes away. It occurs, but then it goes away, it drifts away. You don't hold on to every thought that occurs and try to go after it. But many of these things, after they create that thought, what happens is, these inputs are repeatedly thrown to us, right? The same gadget we see others using it, or constantly we keep seeing advertisements which keep telling you, oh, you should have that, and oh, this is so good, and you know, everybody looks at you and you're having it. So the input that keeps coming back to you again and again does not let this sankalpa pass, right? So from saying that, hey, that's nice, but I don't need it, you go on to saying that, hey, that's nice, I should get that, right? And that is when it becomes or starts becoming an obsession or a desire. Till then it is only sankalpa and that is what Krishna is referring to here by saying, 
संकल्प प्रभवान कामान दोज डिजायर्स दैट आर बॉर्न आउट ऑफ संकल्प अंडरस्टैंड दैट देर आर सर्टन डिजायर्स दैट आर बॉर्न दिस वे राइट इन फैक्ट इवन इन मार्केटिंग दे कॉल दिस दे कॉल दिस क्रिएटिंग अ नीड स्ट्रैटेजी many of the products that are being sold today actually we people don't need it right you have to create a need for that in society and then you start selling your product so then you create demand you create a market for your product and then you start making profit out of it so that's what eventually happens we see it it becomes a thought sometimes we let it pass but we are people are making sure that we don't let that thought pass we are constantly given that input and eventually that sankalpa ends up becoming a karma or a desire and when we are going about in life there is no time to actually reflect about it many times you know any of these desires that we are talking about when they arise in the mind probably all that is required is to just examine that thought and say that do i really need this what will be the utility for that in my life it would require just that amount of reflection but when we are moving about in our life i think we don't have that time for reflection the senses are constantly busy the mind is constantly receiving these inputs then it starts contemplating on them there is no gap between these things and krishna had mentioned this even in the second chapter he had said in that verse where he said dhyato vishayan pumsah you look at an object and then you start contemplating on that dhyato means you start over and over thinking about it you start contemplating about it and then it starts becoming an attachment is a sangasteshu upajayate and that attachment then eventually becomes desire so when we are constantly in the world we wake up we start reading the news we are browsing social media and then we go out advertisements all over the place there are hoardings everywhere there are billboards then we are probably traveling in the metro we are traveling by some public transport we are seeing people using things we come back home in the evening we look at the television you constantly receive these stimuli there is no break for the senses and the mind so where there is no need a need is created where there was no desire through the senses sankalpas enter the mind and those sankalpas are not allowed to pass from the mind and they become desires and as we have seen from the beginning of the chapter meditation as a daily exercise one of the roles that it plays is to give a breather to the mind it's to give a break to the mind you close the senses you restrain them and that's what krishna says in the very next uh, line of the shloka also he says manasa eva by the mind itself indriya gramam the whole group of senses viniyamya completely restraining samantatah from every side so you hold back the senses you or you hold back the inputs that come from the senses and that does not always mean shutting them off only the eye has that ability to close but the ears and the body does not have that ability to cut off from doing what it suppose what is meant to do so manasa eva through the mind you restrain the activity of the senses and that is what you try to do while you are meditating you use the mind to turn the senses within and we've seen that in the earlier part of the chapter where krishna says that you listen to your breathing you focus the mind on the tip of the nose all of that we have gone through but when we do that there will be sankalpas and thoughts that arise 
I think that is the point that needs to be taken from the shloka. Even when you have shut out everything, because the input has already been taken, you've already seen these objects, you've already been given this information that, oh, this is something that you must have. So these sankalpas will keep arising, but during meditation is a time when these sankalpas can be examined, can be let go, can be discarded. Right? So this is also an important aspect about meditation itself. Swami would say this during his discourses many times when he speaks about meditation and if you have gone through any course of meditation, this will be something that would be told to you quite often. When you try to meditate, thoughts will come and flood the mind. And as a practice, you must just learn to witness them and just let them pass. And this is something that we will have to do even through the day, right? When we talk about sankalpa as becoming karma, that is something that you need to do throughout the day when a thought occurs that, oh, that's nice, I wish I had that. You begin to examine that. Do I really need that? Is it really worthwhile? What is the utility of that in my everyday life? That examination needs to be done, but that practice is best done during this period of meditation. So when a sankalpa comes, we must be able to let it pass without we holding on to it, without we starting to contemplate on it. Or even more importantly when it comes to devotees and sadhakas, not fretting over it or saying that, oh my God, I had a desire like this, oh I got a thought like this, how can I have this thought, I am a horrible person. You just let it pass. Swami would often say this, they are like clouds that pass through the sky, they don't scar the sky. They don't stain the sky. They just come and go. Similarly, when thoughts come, just witness them and let them go by. And this itself is a practice that needs to be inculcated in meditation. For that, this attitude that I am not these thoughts and desires has to be cultivated. Right? I think uh, we might have mentioned this all before. This idea of I am not these thoughts, I am not these mind. You know, Swami says, that we are the thoughts we entertain, right? This is not to say that you can have any kind of thoughts and that's all right. That is where I think the catchphrase is. Swami says we are the thoughts that we entertain. And that entertaining can be done as thinking about it over and over again or saying that, oh, how bad I am, I had this thought, I'm a horrible person. That is also a way by which you're further entertaining that thought. So, you let it pass through. If a bad or a low thought comes, it must be allowed to pass with the attitude that I am not that. This is just a fleeting thought. I am not going to hold on to that. And this is what Krishna says, Sankalpa Prabhavan Kaman Tyaktva These desires that have their sources in Sankalpas have to be given up. The Sankalpa itself has to be given up. In everyday life, as I just said, we don't get that break. You know, there is a rush of input. We need a lot of effort to let these thoughts go by when we are busy in feeding our senses all the time. And meditation is a time when this can be practiced more consciously. And this process, Krishna says, is slow and it needs effort. I think that is another very important point that has to be kept in mind. With time, the mind will be able to turn inward and focus on the Atman. And that is what Krishna says in the very next line. He says, Shanai Shanaihi. 
gradually it will happen only slowly don't be upset with yourself don't be treating yourself badly because oh i'm such a horrible person i'm sitting in meditation and all these thoughts are coming shanai shanai hi gradually or slowly uparamit let him quieten and this is in reference to the mind of course shanai shanai hi uparamit let him slowly and gradually quieten the mind after giving up the desires that are born of sankalpas that is a continuation of the first line right and then he goes on to say buddhya dhriti grihitaya buddhya dhriti grihitaya by the intellect held in firmness when the buddhi is fixed on higher things and is firm in the resolve then the mind and the senses can be slowly brought under control I think there's something that's very important to keep in mind as sadhakas. A lot of people, youngsters especially, come and ask, you know, why is it so difficult for us to focus on Swami? Why is it so difficult for us to stick to our sadhana? There are so many distractions. I always say this, you know, a simple degree, a B.Sc. degree or M.Sc. degree or Master's or Ph.D. or whatever it is, we are ready to give so much of our life for attaining that simple piece of paper. right for me to get a bachelor in science which is pretty simple achievement it is not some glorious achievement for that i had to give 15 years of my life 12 years of schooling and 3 years of my life in the university for a simple bachelor's degree i am ready to give 15 years of my life here we are talking about attaining brahman we are talking about attaining sukham of the highest order happiness of the highest order but then we become restless after trying it out for 2 or 3 years right so we must be patient with ourselves shanai shanai hi uparamit this has to be attained gradually this quietening has to be attained gradually and this can be done when the buddhi is firm when your intellect that this is what i need no matter how many distractions come no matter how many other times we may get derailed in this attempt the buddhi is sure that this is the right thing i might fail but i am better off being a failure in this attempt than being a successful person in my attempt to attain the world i think that is a very very important attitude to have then krishna goes on to say when you do this when you gradually and slowly quiet in the mind in this manner atma samstham manah kritva then the mind must be absorbed in the self in the atma na kinchiddapi chintayet without thinking about anything this can be done slowly so as we can see here the tone is that of an instruction krishna does not speak about a nyani he is still advising how a person who is taking up meditation must be doing it that is why this is for one who wishes to practice it so as we can see it is a beautiful description of what must be done within the mind when one is trying to meditate so to quickly sum it up in one sentence or a couple of sentences he says withdraw your senses observe thoughts as they come and go every time the mind tries to run after a train of thoughts just bring it back to the object of meditation and eventually the mind will be fixed on the atman atma samstham manakritva of course he is saying it as a instruction as i said the mind must be made to be absorbed in the self but this will happen gradually when you have this 
constant practice of pulling back the mind when it starts running. And this again will be repeated in the next shloka also. But before we move on, let us come to this, the most important question based on this line that I just read out. What is it to have the mind on the self? Atma samstham mana kritva. It literally means making the mind stay put on the Atma. What is that really? What does it mean to say that the mind must be on the Atma? The Atma is often described as that which cannot be comprehended by the mind. Yato vacho nivartante The mind with the faculty of speech returns defeated in its attempt to reach the Atma. Then what is it meant when we say placing the mind on the Atma? Right? The Atma by definition is described as that which cannot be thought about. The mind by definition is that which cannot reach the Atma. Then what do we mean by saying that the mind must be placed on the Atma? Not only that, the Atma is also described as always being the subject and never the object. Right? In the Kenopanishad, when the disciple asks about the self, the Guru says it cannot be seen, but the eyes see because of it. It cannot be heard but the ears hear because of it. So too it cannot be comprehended, but the mind has the ability to comprehend because of the Atma. So it is always the subject, it cannot be seen. Then how can we say that the mind has to be placed on the Atma? There are a few ways this can be looked at. One is, when you say that you meditate on the Atma, you meditate on this idea that Everything is the Atma. How it is the source of everything. You breathe and think that even this breathing is because of the Atma. So Atma is thought of as the source of everything. Everything is based on the Atma. right? When you talk about the whole world being a dream of that self, you think of how everything that you see and you interact with has been created by the Atma. All of these analogies are given in that sense. Last week I was speaking about this very beautiful conversation between this great sage Yagnyavalkya and his equally great consort Maitri. The sage tells his wife one very beautiful statement which is very deep. It can be looked at from a simple understanding to a very profound understanding and this statement really has to be meditated upon. Actually it's a group of statements said in a very poetic manner. Yagnyavalkya tells her Nava are patyuhu kamaya pati priyo bhavatyatmanastu kamaya pati priyo bhavati. I'll repeat that. Nava are patyuhu kamaya pati priyo bhavatyatmanastu kamaya pati priyo bhavati. Not for the sake of the husband, my dear, his the husband loved, but he is loved. For the sake of the self. Nava are jaya yai kamaya jaya priya bhavatyatmanastu kamaya jaya priya bhavati. Not for the sake of the wife, my dear, is the wife loved, but she is loved for the sake of the self. Nava are putranam kamaya putraha priya bhavanti putraya. Priya bhavanti, atmanastu kamaya putraha priya bhavanti. Not for the sake of the sons, my dear, 
are the sons loved, but they are loved for the sake of the self. A very profound statement. He says, when we love someone, we are under the impression that we love that person. But the truth is, we love ourselves and sometimes them being around or them being safe is part of me taking care of my peace of mind. This is in fact easier to understand when you look at it from the point of view of loving an object. And that is what he says in the very next statement. He says, Nava are vittasya kamaya vittim priyam bhavatyatmanastu kamaya vittam priyam bhavati Not for the sake of wealth, my dear, is wealth loved, but it is loved for the sake of the self. When I love gold, it is not that I love gold. I love myself and gold helps me to make myself more comfortable and more happy. right? And that is why I love gold. When I love wealth, when I love money, it is not that I love that piece of paper which has some printing and some lettering on it. It's not that I am fond of that paper for what it is. I am fond of that paper for what it can do to me. right? I love wealth because I love myself. So in the same way he says, when you love a person, when you love people, when you love a wife, when you love a husband, when you love your children, you love them because you are not loving them, you are loving yourself. Of course, when we are interacting with people, we do sacrifices for their need, we give in to their likes and dislikes. So this idea is not as obvious as when we talk about loving wealth or loving gold. But even then, we love others for our own self. This is one of the ways of seeing this simple relationship that we have with others. But when you contemplate on the statement more deeply, it occurs. Swami would also say that you know when you have a mother, you've loved her all your life, you've served her, and then the same mother dies, that same hands that served you all this life, the same feet that you would touch every day and fill your heart with joy, Swami would say that you take this body and you put it in fire. Why? Because the self is no more seen in that corpse. Because the self is not there in that body, now it has become a corpse. So that is one more way of looking at this very statement. You are not loving the person, but you are loving the self within. But when you deeply contemplate on this statement, that's why I said it is multiple ways of looking at it, multiple layers of looking at it. It will occur that everyone loves only the self. The object is loved because of the self. The world is loved because of the self. Nature is loved because of the self. And when one contemplates this way, you are not thinking about yourself, you are thinking about the Atma. right? You are thinking about everything being the Atma. You are thinking about how everything has its source in the Atma. The names and forms now don't distract. One may be an inanimate object, one may be a person that you have lived with. You don't let that form and name distract you from the feeling that you are interacting with the Self, the Supreme Self itself. right? Can't we refer to this as Atma Samstam Manakritva, making the mind stand on the Atma? Because now you are looking at everything as being sourced from the Atma. You are not thinking about the Atma itself, but you are thinking beyond the forms and the names that you see. Similarly, the constant thought of what is true and what is an illusion, what is eternal and what is fleeting. Meditation is not merely to think of an object or a form, right? That's something I've uh, we've mentioned many, many times already. It's a way by which you are correcting the way 
you look at the world, you're correcting your perceptions and the way you are approaching the world. Oftentimes we mention this phrase, Shravana, Manana and Nididhyasana. I think this is also a form of concentration, contemplation and meditation. The word Nididhyasana is meditating upon the truth that one has heard from the Guru. Shravana is hearing from the Guru. Manana is contemplating about what has been heard. Nididhyasana is meditating upon it. And as we have seen, meditation is when the person who is meditating and the, the object that is being meditated upon and the process of meditation merge into one. Right? That is why Nididhyasana is meditation and also absorption. So Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana is also concentration, contemplation and meditation. And that is why what is heard from the Guru, the truth that has been understood or taken from the Guru or read from the scriptures can also be contemplated upon and that is also a form of meditation. So to analyze one's thoughts in this manner, one's reactions, the sankalpas that arise in the mind, one's worries, one's disappointments and the nididhyasana that happens in the process can also be spoken of as atma samstham, placing the atma where the mind and all the thoughts are merged in this truth through the process of manana. Right? The ultimate samadhi is, as Krishna has been saying, when the mind loses its quality of being able to get distracted or having this craving for objects. And that will eventually happen. Right? So when Krishna says the atma has to be contemplated upon or the mind has to be placed in the atma, one is saying that how everything is sourced from the Atma is one, how one can contemplate about it. You are actually looking at the world. You are not contemplating on the Atma, but you are contemplating on the world and you are making it disappear in front of you. Right? That is one way by which you are removing the names and forms and the Atma is being contemplated upon. And the other way is you contemplate upon the truths that have been gathered and received from the Guru. That is one more way of looking at it. There is another way we can look at this same statement, Atma Samstham Manakritva. And this is also based on what Krishna has said. I am not trying to make it up. He has said it in this very chapter. In the 14th verse of this chapter, Krishna had said, Manaha Samyamya Machitto Yukta Asit Matparaha. Controlling the mind completely, let the Yukta fix his mind in me having me as his supreme goal. So contemplating or fixing the mind in the Atma is same as fixing the mind in God, in the Swami, in the Lord we love, in our case, in Swami. So the other way of doing this Atma Samstham, which Krishna is speaking about here, is contemplating and meditating on the chosen deity of our liking. Swami says this is in fact one of the easiest ways to place this mind in the Atma because where there is love, Swami says, contemplation becomes effortless. You know, we don't have to sit and forcefully concentrate on Swami. Sometimes we just have to think of Swami, the time we've spent with Swami or the beautiful form of Swami that we get to see in pictures and videos. So easily that love makes us contemplate on Swami. There is no effort and concentration there. Right? And then Swami says that this Ekanta Bhakti that is constantly focusing on one name and form God does all names and forms belong to God but this act of 
fixing your mind on this one name and form swami says is ekant bhakti and this adoration of ekant bhakti eventually leads one to ananya bhakti where every person every object is seen as merely a reflection of that same deity or god that one has fallen in love with right there's a very beautiful episode about meditating on swami and what i just said that the atma cannot be comprehended we'll see towards the end if we have time we'll come back to that so these are the two verses 24 and 25 where krishna gives a beautiful explanation of how this internal process of meditation happens we'll go to the next verse verse number 26 even there krishna says something which is very beautiful and then at the end of it maybe we'll summarize what krishna has said in these three verses so we can understand how this process of meditation happens after you have sat down after you have done everything that krishna has said about how you have to go about meditation how you have to deal with the thoughts that arise in the mind so this is verse number 26 of the 6th chapter yato yato nischalati मनश्चलमस्थिम ततस्तो निशम नगेत फ्रॉम वॉट एवर कॉज द रेस्टलेस एंड अनस्टडी माइंड वॉन्डर्स अवे फ्रॉम दैट लेट हिम रिस्ट्रेन इट एंड ब्रिंग इट अंडर द कंट्रोल ऑफ द सेल्फ अलोन that's the brief meaning of the 26th verse this shloka mentions something that i said in summary that one or two line summary that i gave in the previous verse also he says yato yato nischarati for whatever reason yato yato whatever may be the reason that it may wander off that is the reference to the mind tata tataha from each of that niyamya have it restrained yetat this mind atmani eva in the self alone vasham nayet let one bring it into control so this again is a tip of how you have to go about in meditation each time the mind wanders off very gently bring it back and make it contemplate on the atma again again this is another instruction that would often be given if you go into a meditation class they will say that concentrate on something you will find that your mind wanders every time the mind wanders just get it back and say that start concentrating again so what is it to bring it back to the self we had just discussed that but there are a few important things that are said here which is again important and very helpful for all of us as sadhakas while saying that the mind keeps wandering off krishna uses two adjectives in that shloka that we just heard he had said actually yato yato nischarati for whatever reason it may wander off manaha chanchalam this mind that is in a state of flux chanchalam it is constantly in a state of flux asthiram and is unsteady So Krishna says that the mind is chanchala and asthiram. He said yato yato nischarati. So it has this nature of wandering off all the time. It is chanchala in a state of flux 
and is asthiram it is unstable so you would often say that the mind is made up of sankalpas and vikalpas you want to do something then you hesitate you choose one thing then you wonder do i really want this or do i want the other thing this constant argument that happens in the mind is referred to as sankalpas and vikalpas and this is what gives this mind chanchalatva or this nature of constantly going back and forth and this is what makes the mind asthira or unstable right it does not remain in one place and krishna as i said also says nischarati it always wanders off to be more specific it wanders outwardly the senses constantly drag the mind outward of course krishna is going to describe the mind much much more in the verses to come and we will talk about that when uh, he speaks about that but here what is he doing what is krishna doing by giving this description of the mind krishna is telling us the nature of the mind is such he is not blaming the mind he is not criticizing the mind he is not trying to point out errors in the sadhaka whose mind is like this he is not telling the sadhaka whose mind is chanchalatva whose chanchala and asthira who oh, what a bad person he is no he is not doing that he is not passing judgments on either the person who has such a mind nor is he passing judgments on the mind itself if you have to deal with a person if you have to deal with a person say in business or that person happens to be your neighbor or you're living with that person as a roommate or whatever it is if you have to deal with a person in any form of transaction you must first understand that person's nature right for example when you get married and start living with another person you first have to understand what are those person's weaknesses what are the the person's strengths and flaws what makes that person happy what makes that person angry you first have to understand that person right some you often say this when he's giving advice to newly married couples some you'd say first you should have the ability to adjust but how will there be adjusting without understanding so some you'd say first there should be understanding and that understanding will facilitate adjustment right so in any form of transaction when you have to work with a person you have to first understand that person only then you can live with that person change or transformation comes only much later in the similar way krishna here is describing the nature of the mind so he does not say it like he is describing the mind this is how the mind has been created right he is the creator of the mind and he says this is the nature of the mind and it is being said so that we can accordingly work with it so when he says it is chanchalam and asthiram and yato yato nischarati it means that that is how the mind is made but when he also says tatat tato niyamya yetad atmanyeva vasham nayet every time bring it back under the control and place it on the atma when krishna makes that statement it means that that is also possible the mind is chanchalam and asthiram that is also the nature of the mind because krishna says so but when he says that place it on the atma it means that that is also possible to be done with the mind so it is the nature of the mind to go outward the senses are attached to the mind we have been speaking about that you know there is the sense organ which is attached to the body but the senses themselves are attached to the antakarnas which are different aspects of the mind right 
So in a way, the senses are meant to go outward and when they go outward, they have this tendency to take the mind outward. And based on that, the mind is meant to weigh the pros and cons of the inputs that it gains through the senses, right? It constantly gets information from outside. Some you would say this, that you know, if you're eating a food, if you are eating a mango, the senses are meant to take input from outside and tell you whether this object is suitable for you. You smell the mango, is it smelling rotten? Or you taste it, you take a small piece and put it in your mouth, is it ripe enough to be eaten? So these are ways by which you are getting input whether this object is suitable for you or not. Or let's say when you are sitting and meditating, the mind always gets distracted. A small mosquito comes and bites you. We get disturbed and swiftly our hand moves and tries to squash that mosquito, right? Or we hear a sound. We are sitting in meditation. Some you would often say this. You are sitting and doing prayer and uh, you will ask, somebody is ringing the bell and you will turn to a person and say, See if the dobi has come, right? This is the nature of the mind. It constantly gets distracted and it is made in that manner for a certain purpose. If you observe that these are all the qualities of alertness that have been given to the mind to serve this body, to protect it from danger and to provide for oneself, right? As I said, that's how you see whether the food that you eat is suitable for you. You see whether the place you're sitting is suitable for you. Is it warm enough? Is it cold? Is it infested with pests? All of these are ways by which you are protecting yourself and you are serving this body. And if you keenly look at it, these are all qualities of the mind and the senses that are very necessary, especially for animals. And we have also been given these qualities because they are useful to us too. Because in a certain sense, we are also animals, right? We are also living in society pretty much like how you have animals that live in the wild. Our skin is made sensitive for a certain purpose. The ear is able to hear sounds from a distance for a certain purpose. The eye is able to see something from a pretty distant place for a certain purpose. right? But one may ask if this is so, if the mind is made chanchala and astira, if the senses are made in this way for a certain purpose, why are we talking about turning them inward? Why are we talking about stilling the mind? Maybe this is why the human birth is always spoken of as being precious. This ability to control the mind, this ability to still the mind, this ability to ask this question of who am I? What is the purpose of my own existence? This I don't think is being gifted to any other animal. Yes, we have been given this animal nature of the mind being the way it is, but the mind that has been given to a human is also having the ability to turn inward, right? So, the animal nature or the residual animal nature in the human life is what makes the mind chanchalam and astiram, and we need that also for a certain reason, as we just saw. But the ability of the mind to transcend that nature is also within our reach. And so Krishna says, may this mind be contained from being pulled by the senses outward and let it be placed on the Atma. And for this, start by acknowledging that this is the nature of the mind. You know, don't curse the mind, don't resist the mind. Start by acknowledging that, okay, this is how the mind is. 
this is the nature of the mind that every sound will distract it every fragrance will distract it or if there is nothing around the mind has this ability to distract itself as we saw a couple of weeks back the example of the flame is so apt because the mind even if there is no breeze the flame will still flicker even if there is absolutely no input through the senses still the mind can distract itself because it gives rise to different sankalpas all the time so this is the nature of the mind and in in meditation we are trying to deal with nothing but our own mind it's a battle or it's a transaction with the mind right we are doing a deal with the mind so it calls for understanding the nature of the mind and by nature the mind is chanchala by nature the mind is asthira unstable and by nature the mind is always wandering away so keep pulling it back each time it wanders and as krishna said shanai shanai it will happen slowly and gradually that eventually the mind will become one with the atma so we'll go to the next verse nothing much is conveyed in the next verse but it is more or less a summary of whatever krishna has been saying in the past few verses so we'll listen to that the verse number 27 and we'll discuss about that and we'll conclude this week prashantamanasamhenam yoginam sukhamuttamam upaiti shantarajasam Supreme bliss is the lot of the sage whose mind attains peace, whose passions subside, who is without sin and who becomes one with the absolute. So that is the 27th verse. Here Krishna describes the culmination of the highest state reached by the yogi pretty much like the shlokas that we went through last week so here krishna describes what happens when whatever he had said in the past two verses you control the mind you bring it back and there are reference to a few points that krishna has made in the few shlokas and even shlokas of some past chapters that we have come through in the past few shlokas krishna spoke about how to place the mind on the atma withdraw the senses using the mind if sankalpas arise what to do with them when the mind gets distracted by external disturbances keep bringing it back and he said slowly the mind will turn inward and continuing from there krishna says prashanta manasam the mind that has become thus peaceful shanta rajasam one whose restlessness has settled down if you remember in the third chapter krishna had explained how this rajasic nature of the mind to constantly go outward this nature covers the satvic nature of the mind which is trying to reach the goal right when arjuna was asking that though we know that this is the right thing to do why are we not able to do that krishna gives this explanation it is like how the embers are covered by ashes in the same manner this rajasic nature of the mind to constantly go outward covers this satvic nature of the mind and in the previous shloka krishna had explained how it is natural for the mind to constantly wander away yato yato nischarati keeps wandering after something or the other so this is the rajasic nature of the mind which gets mitigated right shanta rajasam and then he says 
ब्रह्मभूत अकलमशम ब्रह्मभूतम मीन्स वन हु हैज बिकम ब्रह्मन अकलमशम वन हु इज फ्री फ्रॉम ऑल फ्लॉस सो वेन द माइंड बिगिन्स टू मर्ज इन दिस आत्मन ऑल द फ्लॉज ऑफ रागा एंड द्वेशा एंड द इमोशंस ऑफ कामा क्रोधा एंगर एंड जेलसी एंड ऑल ऑफ दैट दैट इज बॉर्न आउट ऑफ रागा एंड द्वेशा आर ऑल्सो सब्लिमेटेड अलॉन्ग विद दैट सो वेन वन रेकग्नाइजिस द आइडेंटिटी विद ब्राह्मण वेन यू से दैट वन मर्जिस इन ब्राह्मण दैट्स वॉट इट मीन्स इट इज नॉट लाइक आई गोइंग एंड मर्जिंग इन टू द लाइट लाइक हाउ दे हैपन टू शो इन सम मूवीज इट्स नॉट इन दैट मैनर आई रेकग्नाइज हु आई एम द माइंड merges in the atman means the mind now sees what it really is and that itself makes the mind get sublimated right one recognizes one's true identity and when that happens there is no place for now saying that i want this i want that or i desire this so raga and dvesha goes and with that all forms of immorality also goes there is no place for that there is no anger there is no sinning that is why one becomes an akalmasham that's why he says ब्रह्मभूतमकलमशम वंस दिस आइडेंटिटी विद ब्रह्मन इज रेकग्नाइज वन ऑटोमेटिकली बिकम्स सिनलेस येनम योगिनम सच योगी ही सुखम उत्तमम उपैति रीचेस द हाईएस्ट स्टेट ऑफ हैप्पीनेस राइट सो दैट्स व्हाट वी स्टार्टेड ऑफ विद द ट्वेंटी वर्स वेयर कृष्णा स्पीक्स अबाउट दैट हाईएस्ट फॉर्म ऑफ सुखम अगेन कृष्णा रिपीट्स दैट by saying that when one does this with the bind the highest form of sukham yenam yoginam hi sukham uttamam upaiti which is the highest state of happiness so in a way this is again as i said is a, a summary or rounding of whatever krishna had said in the past 2 3 verses i think we have a couple of minutes so i will narrate that story that i mentioned that very beautiful episode when you say that you think of the atman or you place the mind on the atman and if you equate or when we speak of the lord being the atman how do you meditate on the lord there was this devotee whom swami had taught him how he has to meditate and swami had given him instructions of how he can meditate and he was also very fond of meditating so it so happened that he had come to vrindavan swami was in vrindavan during that time and it was his birthday so he had brought a tray and he wanted swami to come and bless the offerings that he had brought on that occasion so i think it was a thursday or a sunday and those of us who been there in vrindavan know that those are days when there are bhajans from morning to evening right there is morning i think it must have been a sunday sunday is the time when we have that akhand bhajan thursday morning bhajans but sunday we have that akhand bhajan so it was a sunday so he comes in the morning and uh, he gets a good spot where it is likely that swami would come near him but it so happens that swami doesn't come for that morning session so he decides to sit there till the afternoon because he was saying that if i get up i don't know if i'll get the same spot again so he decides to sit there the whole afternoon and uh, then he said all right let me sit and meditate so he closed his eye and he started thinking about swami and he started thinking swami what am i to think about you as I want to meditate on you but how am I to meditate on you because he said because the vedas describe the lord as somebody who cannot be thought about who cannot be comprehended with the mind the mind is a tool that is inadequate for this process 
then he started saying swami then how do i think about you what am i supposed to think about you how am i supposed to contemplate on you and he kept on thinking about this thinking about this he said he didn't know how much time went by close to 2 or 3 hours went by he was constantly thinking swami i cannot think about you because you are beyond the mind you know whatever i think of you is it's not complete i might think of swami's anger but swami's anger is not swami's i can think of swami's compassion but even that is not complete i don't understand swami's true nature two or three hours he meditated like this and he said that at one point it suddenly came as a flash of inspiration from within saying that this is how swami has to be meditated upon you have to think of swami as being beyond comprehension the mind has to think of swami as being beyond the mind and he said ah this is how he has to be meditated upon and when this thought occurred to him he felt you know a rush of positivity and happiness from within he said ah i've got the answer and just then he said that there was movement around and swami was about to come so he saw swami came on to the stage and swami moved around and swami came down and swami came to the spot where he was swami blessed the tree that he had and swami bent down and very gently asked him answer mila did you get the answer for your question swami indicating that i am a witness to the question that arises in your mind and the answer that you got within your mind that swami has to be contemplated as the one who is beyond comprehension that answer was also given by me so swami is asking did you get the answer so that was the episode dear listeners that what i'll narrate when we say that the mind has to be placed on the atman yes we cannot comprehend swami and that is the best way to think of swami that swami that i can never comprehend you right and so this is something that swami himself has said i'll conclude with that and thank you dear listeners for joining me do join me again next week we'll resume this pilgrimage of the geeta series this is a triune pilgrimage till i meet you all next week take care keep safe jai sai ram